0: turn this on awesome good morning uh hey it's great to be with you guys uh it has been um about two years since we were last here uh so two years ago right before we launched overseas uh to the field we were kind of doing a tour of all of our church partners and uh we came down and so it because it's been so long it's really exciting for us to be here and we're stoked to bring our uh son john this is first time to america first time to family first time to portland actually it's a lot of firsts uh, for a five-month-old um so thanks for having us and again we're looking forward to lunch afterwards and hanging out so if you are online feel free to uh, you got until the end of the service to come grab some lunch with us um as certainly mentioned my name is kevin that's my wife rachel and our son john uh, rachel and i met actually attending multnomah university and we were attending family of grace way back then so uh, family of grace is actually one of our sending churches kind of family of grace, and then my wife's home church uh, are our two sending churches. Um, So again, it's special to be here and exciting to see familiar faces and some new ones. We're stoked to get to talk to you all afterwards. Today's sermon is going to be a little bit different, I think, potentially than a normal sermon because I wanted to give you guys an update of what we've been doing for the last two years, Um, but I also don't want to just talk about ourselves. I want to look at a passage of scripture that I've been wrestling with over the last few weeks, um, because God's word is more important than my word. Uh, And so to give you an idea of what we're gonna do this morning, uh, kind of the breakdown will be, I'll begin with an overview of what the last two years have looked like for us. Uh, Then we'll open up that passage of scripture, specifically from the book of John, and we'll discuss how it impacts our lives. And then finally, I wanna leave you with some encouragement and hopefully some uh, challenges uh, as we go out. So, sound good? All right, awesome. Uh, so, um, oh, also, I titled my sermon Abiding and Going out of John 15. Um, so, our city. So, for the last two years, Rachel and I have been living in a super populous city in the Middle East. Uh, unfortunately, because of the work we do and the location uh, for security reasons, because this is being live streamed, I have to be somewhat vague. About where we live, but feel free to ask me about it afterwards and on our table. There's a uh, Picture so you'll be able to see that Um, But I wanted to give an idea of the size of the city we live in so uh, and I wanted to kind of compare it to Portland Uh, I assume it's somewhat the same from when we lived here But I remember when I lived in Portland and I would be driving It felt like there was just a ton of people. There's traffic everywhere tons of people. I'd go to a coffee shop and there's a line like it felt like Portland was a big city to us. Uh, according to the 2020 census the Portland metro area so that includes Vancouver and Hillsboro, uh, has about 2.5 million people spread over six uh, six and a half thousand square miles so pretty big right? That puts uh, Portland metro area actually as the 25th most populated metro area in the nation. So it's a pretty big area, for sure. Now, our area is just a little bit bigger, (laughs) Uh, spread over just 2,000 square miles. Our population is officially estimated at 15 million people. Uh, But most people actually say it's somewhere closer to 20 million with all the unregistered migrants in the area. So again, Portland being 2.5 over 6,000 square miles, ours is 20, 000, 20 million over 2,000. So it feels very populated in our city. <laughs> our city is huge. Um, and the makeup of our city is primarily the locals, obviously, but there's a huge refugee population as well, all from all over the Middle East. Uh, and of course, the majority of these refugees are Muslim. Our focus in the city is these, this uh, refugee population. Uh, and specifically, Rachel and I's focus is an unreached people group from northern Afghanistan. And I'll give you a little bit more about that in a moment. But first, let me talk a little bit about our team. It's not just Rachel and I there, for and John, uh, doing the work by ourselves. We're with a company. Uh, and our company actually has two teams in the city, one big team and one small team. So the big team uh does a lot of work with refugees they have programs such as moms and tots programs food distribution Uh, they walk with refugees through financial situations do lawyer doctor visits things like that Um, they also have a lot of uh, a couple church plants that they've been able to do and some of them work with the church plants they all strive to share stories about jesus with the refugees that they're serving uh, doing a lot of good work Our team, the one that we are on, is much smaller. It consists of our family, uh, our team leader, his wife, and their one-month-old daughter, uh, and one other couple and their one-year-old son. So we're all young families with one kid. Uh, And then we have one single girl on our team. Our uh, team's focus is we want to specifically see movements happen among refugees. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the movement terminology in the Christian world, but essentially... We want to see reproducing house churches among muslim refugees that means we want to see refugees among unreached people groups come to faith learn how to be a church and then start to plant other churches among their people each family unit on our team has sort of a different focus of a people group and yet we all work together in the work we do Uh, so it's really fun really cool work again i mentioned our people group earlier from northern uh, afghanistan Uh, The people group, according to the Joshua Project, uh, is 99.99% Muslim. Uh, That means it's extremely unreached. In fact, uh, I personally only know of four believers out of the entire people group in the world. So that's about four people out of about six million uh, who personally know Jesus and are following him. There may be more, we just don't know about them. There doesn't exist in the entire world any church specifically in their language. The reason uh, Rachel and I felt a deep desire to work with this group is because they're so unreached and yet because of war and and, uh, violence, their numbers in our city are actually uh, very high. Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but we've heard anywhere from 200 to 300,000 of them in our city. Currently, the only Christian resources that exist in their language uh, are the first half of the audio of the Jesus film from, that was made in the 70s. Uh, so just the first half of that audio. And then last year, um, our company worked with another company uh, to create 40 audio recordings, about 40 audio recordings of stories of Jesus in their language. That is the only Christian resources that they have access to in their language. Um, just recently, however, our friend that, is, uh, that we work with who's also learning the language just got the rights to start translating the Jesus Storybook Bible into their language. So that will actually be the first written biblical resource in this people group. Rachel and I felt called to work with this people group because they desperately, desperately need workers. Over the last two years, uh, what we have been doing is primarily focusing on language. So we spent uh, the first year of living in our country uh, focusing on the language of our country because that's where we live, we need to speak it in order to live and work and survive. After about a year of focusing on that language, we switched to learning the language of the people group that we live in. So. I guess we can speak three languages, but it doesn't feel like that. Rachel's definitely way better than I am, uh, but we're still working. Um, After about, so we've been working on that third language, and there are a total of zero written resources to learn this language, so it's been a little bit difficult. Um, However, we got connected with a school in Kabul, Afghanistan, uh, that has one teacher from this language group, And so we do online classes with him, and it's been great. Now, while doing language learning, it's not like we're just learning language. We're striving to learn language so that we can have spiritual conversations and share the good news of Jesus. Uh, So as we begin to connect with people in their community, both in our city and online, we've been uh, using the language that we're learning to share the good news of Jesus. Uh, I've been able to make uh, two fairly good friends from this people group in our city, one who was agnostic in his faith, and uh, thankfully they both spoke English, so they've been good language partners for me. Now, even though we've been spending the majority of our time these last two years focusing on language, like I've said, we've been striving to get into spiritual conversations as much as possible. Very early on, we learned how to identify ourselves as followers of Jesus. Uh, how to invite people to read stories or to hear stories about jesus and study how to share the gospel in their language Um, a lot of the work we do starts with meeting people and inviting them to talk about jesus in fact uh, my agnostic friend from this people group back in february or january february uh, i asked him if he wanted to hear more stories about jesus and he said yes we started to meet regularly, and as we began to read and talk about these stories of Jesus, he actually ended up coming to faith. Two weeks after that, we were able to baptize him. It is, uh, he is actually one of the four believers in the world that we know of. Now, one of the difficulties of working with this people group is two weeks after he was baptized, because he is a refugee, they're all trying to move west. Two weeks after he was baptized, he ended up moving to Germany. So long-term discipleship looks very different when you have a population that's moving around the world. So I've given you a brief look at what we've been doing over the last two years, and obviously there's so much more I could say. But what I'd rather do is share with you one thing that I've been wrestling with and that the Lord, I think, has been convicting me of more and more. I remember early on in my time at Multnomah, they brought in a missionary from, uh, I believe he was was an Irish worker from the Philippines. They brought him in for one of the chapels, and I remember him talking about how he cannot be successful in his day unless he spends at least two hours in the morning with the Lord, Uh, two hours spent in quiet prayer and meditation and scripture. Now, maybe for you, two hours is not that much time, uh, but for me, especially when I was young in the faith, that sounded like a long time. I have now been in a full-time vocational ministry for five years this summer, so not a long time, but definitely enough to realize that the seasons where my quiet time, or to use the language of the text that we're gonna dive into today, the seasons where my abiding is weak, my work is even weaker. What's more, when my abiding is weak, my love for Jesus, for for his word, and for others is weak. Again, to to use the language from the text that we're going to read this morning, when I lack abiding, I lack fruit. What I've learned and what the text teaches is that abiding in Jesus produces fruit. This is exactly what Uh, Jesus says, uh, as written in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. So, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can flip there, and while you're doing so, I'll give you a little bit of background. This book was obviously written by John, makes sense, right? The disciple whom Jesus loves. This passage falls in the section of Scripture known as the Farewell Discourse. So, this is uh, Jesus' final teachings to his disciples before he goes to the cross, In this passage, Jesus was specifically talking with his 12 disciples, his 12 close disciples, right after the Passover in the upper room. In fact, the last verse of John chapter 14 is Jesus saying, rise, let us go from here. And then chapter 15 simply begins. The book of John as a whole shows us how Jesus is the way, the only way to eternal life. It also shows us how Jesus is the son of God for the world. And as his followers, our life mission ought to be to make his name known to the world. I love what the ESV summary uh, of this passage says, or of uh, of the book of John says for the church today. The global message of John for today's church is to trust in Christ, believe in him, nourish yourself in him, find life in him, And spread that life to everyone around you in your own little corner of the world. I think that is a good summation of today's passage. Because John 15 verses 1 through 17 teaches us that abiding in Jesus is what produces fruit. As followers of Jesus, our main job, like our collective job, our collective purpose in life is trusting in, believing in Jesus. The work that he accomplished on the cross finding life in him, spending time with him, loving him, knowing him, and then bringing that to everyone around us. In other words, to abide in Jesus and to produce fruit for him. Our purpose in life is to abide in Jesus and produce fruit for him. So again, if you have your Bibles, uh, open with me to John 15, 1 through 17, and we're going to read. I'm reading from the ESV um, today, so I hope that's okay. Uh, it says, I am the vine and you and my va- father, Oh, sorry, I was getting confused reading both. I am the vine, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean uh, because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. As I break, uh, as I was breaking up these passages and preparing for this, I saw saw three main sections, and so what we're going to do is we're going to take time looking at the sections and and seeing how they apply to our lives. The first section uh, is the roles and responsibilities that we see in verses one through four. Now. Uh, Jesus is using, and this is a pretty famous passage, you've probably have heard a lot of things about this. Uh, he's using horticulture language to talk about faith and life. Uh, ultimately, what the text is already showing in these first few chapters, or first few verses, is that abiding in Jesus is what produces fruit. In verse 1 and 2, Jesus says that he is the vine and the father is the vine dresser, that he, that, that is, that the father is the one taking care of, cultivating, pruning the vines. The branches are you and I, we're the disciples. And, and what the passage already tells us is that there are two types of disciples, unfruitful uh, and, and fruitful. There are two different types of followers of Jesus, those who are producing fruit for Jesus uh, there are some of us who are follow Jesus and who whose whose lives are marked by fruit, and there are some of us who claim to follow Jesus and yet our lives don't actually produce anything. I recently found a guy on Instagram who uh, honestly just looked really cool. He had a, a cool Instagram page, and uh, what I mean by that, he has a beautiful family, uh, really into like personal health and fatherhood. Uh, he has a ton of cool tattoos and a sick mustache. He honestly looks like a guy who would just be like cool to hang out with. Uh, as a new dad myself, uh, I appreciate the posts he, he posts about fatherhood and uh, he has three little boys. Anyway, as I was looking a little bit more into who this guy was, I was so bummed to find out as he was describing his background, how he said he grew up in the Christian faith, grew up in the church, but had since walked away. It's an unfortunate reality that most likely all of us know people like this who grew up in the church, who claim to be followers of Jesus, and yet have walked away. I think the issue here uh, is that we see people who confuse attendance or even self-identification with actual salvation, with actual true belief. Their lives are not necessarily marked by true fruit. Rather, they are actually still dead in their sins. And what we see Jesus say in verse 2 is that the father actually comes along and he removes those branches. Now, on the flip side, for, the branches, uh, for those branches producing fruit, what the father does is he comes along and he prunes those branches. That is to say, he helps them to produce more fruit. God will refine his children so that they can produce more for him. Now, I'd like to briefly discuss what I think Jesus here means by uh, using the word fruit. I believe fruit has less to do with the stuff that we do, although that's obviously important. I think it has more to do with the faithfulness, our faithfulness to the vine. I have learned painfully at times that my life is worthless if I am not abiding in Jesus. All of my good deeds are like filthy rags. One of the scariest passages in scripture for me is Matthew seven twenty-one through 23 that says, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. From one side, it looks as if these were branches producing fruit. But in reality, what the text says is that they were doing mighty works and yet were not actual branches I think, again, it's because the fruit that a branch produces has less to do with the mighty works in our lives and more to do by a life marked by deep love for the Father and love for others. Are you abiding in Jesus? Is the fruit that you are producing actually from the vine or is it from yourself? Now, it's important to slowly read this section and pay attention to verse 3. Jesus is not saying that the Father removes branches just because uh, they are not producing fruit, as if to say that we are saved by our works and kept in the fold based on how good our lives are. Jesus clarifies in verse 3 that disciples are saved based on him. Our works are an outflow of our salvation, not the other way around. The branches that are removed are people who claim to be followers of Jesus and yet whose lives have, are, are not actually in the vine, who, who are not actually, haven't actually repented and be made new. The responsibility of the branches is simply to abide in the vine, and the natural outcome of that abiding is fruit, for it is abiding in Jesus that produces fruit. Our fruit doesn't, help, uh, doesn't lead to our abiding, it is our abiding that leads to fruit. So, what sort of branch are you? This section begs that question for each of us here. What sort of branch are you? Are you a branch producing fruit, or are you a branch merely by name? The next section we see is the obligations and the outcomes in verses 5 through 8. In the section, uh, as mentioned earlier, Jesus is clarifying that branches ought to abide in the vine, which will naturally lead to the outcome of fruit abiding in jesus produces fruit in fact what we see is that apart from jesus we can actually do nothing the consequences of not abiding in the vine is that we will be cast out the consequences of abiding in the vine is that we get to join in what god is doing we get to prayerfully ask god and it will be done and that is abiding and fruit that glorifies the father it is this is the actual fruit that proves our faith it proves that we are disciples it is abiding in jesus that produces fruit that glorifies the father and proves our faith now, it's, I think, again, important to note that this section is not teaching us that if you are a Christian, we get to treat God, we get to treat Holy Spirit as some sort of cosmic genie that gives us unlimited wishes. That's not what Jesus is saying here. And yet, sadly, if we're honest, many of us, uh, maybe at times in our life, uh, by our action, prove that our belief is that I can ask God for anything and he'll give it to me. I think a better view of the text here is one that gets at the heart attitude of the disciple who is remaining in and abiding in God's word. If our hearts are actually abiding in him and, and truly uh, for the things of his word, then the things that we will naturally be asking for are things that are inclined with his will and that will glorify his name. For instance, our team in, in the Middle East regularly gets together for prayer on average at least three times a week we get together for prayer and the things we pray for, we strive to to not pray for things that are inwardly focused about us or selfishly to, to make our lives better. Rather, we are praying for hearts to turn, for people to repent, for movements to happen. Why do we pray like this? Because we believe it is what is in line with God's will. The things that we are asking for are things that we believe would glorify God. And we pray it in faith that God would hear us and answer our prayers and bring many to faith. Not so that uh, our partners think that we are something special, but so that God would gain more glory. The fruit that we want to see is fruit that would glorify the Father. In this section, it begs the question for each of us here today, what are you praying for? Are your prayers in line with God's word? And are your prayers ultimately for his glory? The third section we see is a Christ-likeness and commands in verses 9 through 17. Now, I'll be honest, there's a lot here, and I I wish we could dive deep into it, uh, but unfortunately, time doesn't allow for that. But in this final section, uh, we see Christ modeling things for us and commanding us. Jesus tells us that he's modeling how to love and how to obey in the way that he loves and is loved by the father and the way that he obeys the father's command. You see, it is through keeping Jesus's commands that his followers abide in his love. It's this obedience that will naturally lead uh, to being full of his joy and will naturally lead us to love others. It is in, in this section that we see that His commands are summarized ultimately in love. And it's not just love, but it's love that abides because abiding in Jesus is what produces fruit. The fruit that we should be producing is not just a bunch of good works for Jesus. The fruit that we should be producing is a deep love for the Father and a deep love for others. A love that is ultimately modeled by Jesus this should remind us all of Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36 through 40, the, great, uh, the, the greatest command, right? Teacher, which is the great uh, commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands, commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Obeying the Father's commandments begins with and is marked by love. We also see in this section friendship modeled. Great love is proven through the sacrifice of a friend. Jesus modeled this perfectly when he died on the cross for the sins of those who uh, follow him and and rose from the grave, conquering death and making a way for us all to be reconciled to the Father. Again, I think it's important to note uh, that in this section, the word friend in this context is not the same as me and my best friend, right? In that level of friendship, it, it equates sameness or equality. Here, friendship uh, rather means that our status is changing. I love what D.A. Carson has to say about this. He says, The distinction Jesus draws between a servant and a friend is not the distinction between uh, obeying and not obeying, but the distinction between not understanding and understanding. The friend is let in on what is going on. This understanding stems not from superior intelligence or, or trained mental acuity, but from revelation graciously bestowed. Jesus himself makes known to his friends everything that he has learned from his father that is jesus is making us friends in that jesus is making us friends uh it's it's an amazing thing because he is not making us equal equal with himself rather he is showing and as the text says how his disciples are no longer servants kept in the dark but get to be brought in on the plan get to be brought in on god's plan for the world he is making his Father's will known to us. Now I want to pay special attention to verse 16 because there's a lot in it. Many believe, that if they get to, uh, many believe that they get to decide for themselves whether or not they want to be saved. Many say that salvation is a gift and all we have to do is accept it. What I think is a better way of looking at our salvation is that Jesus saves us. He chooses us, he appoints us, and we, through our abiding in him, respond with love and obedience. We are not the active agents in salvation. Rather, we are the ones simply responding. Jesus actually chooses his disciples. He chooses us and appoints us to know him, to love him, to abide in him. We are brought close and the truth is revealed to us, We are chosen and appointed to then go and bear fruit through abiding in him And ultimately with the help of the father and the the spirit This truly is good news for us So so why does jesus save us? Well, what does the text say so that we should go and bear fruit? And it's here where I want to focus even more uh, in on what does jesus mean here by the word go? now some scholars make the connection to the go here, to the Great Commission, and, and as if Jesus is saying uh, something along the lines to the Great Commission, where he commands his followers to go to the nations. Now, that I don't think is exactly what the text is saying, and I'll be honest, as an overseas worker, when I first read this, I was like, oh, that is an awesome application point, right? Jesus says to abide and go and bear fruit, and so in my initial reading, I wanted to make that connection, but I think uh that that um that doesn't actually line up with the text as well so in the greek uh and i won't go super deep into that but uh because there's probably a lot of y'all here who are smarter than me uh but this go and the go in the great commission are actually two different words in the greek when jesus here says that he appointed us that we should go and bear fruit what i what i believe he is saying is that as we go about our everyday life we should be marked by good fruit The theologian Henry Alford says, uh, the word, oh, you know, I might have skipped that part, my bad, Uh, but he says, the word go probably merely expresses the activity of living and developing principle, not the missionary journeys of the apostles, as some has explained it. In other words, the go here in this passage is not a special situation of certain individuals going Rather, it is for all believers of all time to, in all things, go and bear fruit. Why does that matter? Well, I fear that many of us in the church, maybe many of you sitting here today, may believe the lie that to share the gospel, to to produce fruit, to go out and tell others of the good news of Jesus, is the task of those uniquely called into full-time ministry that it's up to the pastors the elders those who have gone to bible college or seminary those who lead or host home groups to share the gospel but not to you brothers and sisters that is a lie from the enemy who should be going and bearing fruit any of us who claim to follow jesus If you follow Jesus, if you have repented of your sin and believed in his name, if you have believed in the message of the gospel of Jesus, that the, the perfect son of God who lived a sinless life and yet was given up to die on the cross for our sins and who rose again three days later conquering sin and death and making a way for humans to be reconciled with the Father, if you have believed that, then here we see... That you should be going into every new day, every interaction, ready to abide and bear fruit in all that you do. Finally, Jesus, in the very last verse, reiterates that all of this comes back to love. Theologian David Gooding says, The point and purpose of the preceding commandments is this, that you will love one another. Love of God should naturally lead us to love one another and here it again we see that the fruit of of our abiding produces is love is your life marked by love is your life marked by love for the father love for his word love for the son love for the spirit is it marked by love that then flows out into everything you do this section begs the question For each of us here today, are we obeying his commands? Are you full of his joy? And is your life marked by love for God and love for others? Have you been chosen and appointed? And are you going and producing fruit? Are you abiding in Jesus? Because it is that abiding that produces fruit. In some ways, this passage is extremely simple. Abide. Abiding in Jesus produces fruit. And in other ways, it's very complex. It's complex in that it brings up questions uh, such as, uh, can followers of Jesus, can, can t- branches, uh, can true branches be cut off from the Lord? In other words, can a follower of Jesus lose their salvation? How does it work that Jesus chooses his disciples and that they don't choose him? In other words, what's the role of election and, f- and free will and all of that? This passage can be very complex. But at the same time, The passage is very simple in that it ultimately illustrates regardless of our theological views that abiding in Jesus produces fruit and that we should be able to look at our lives and see whether or not we are producing fruit for the Lord. This passage shows that followers of Jesus must abide in him like a branch abides to the vine. The vine dresser will come and he will inspect each uh, each of the branches he will prune the ones that are producing fruit to produce more fruit and he will cast out cut off the branches that aren't producing any fruit for they are not true branches that means that for the follower of jesus as we stay in the word as we dive in our relationship with jesus as we stay in prayer and meditation and memorization of the word our lives will be marked by fruit if you are not producing fruit You have only to look at your walk with Christ. Are you truly and regularly abiding with Him? Now, if you are in need of some next steps uh, to figure out ways in which you can better abide, honestly, it's very simple. You can simply start by reading the Word and praying. I recently listened to an interview with a professor from uh, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago named Dr. I think it's Sayer, uh, Sire, Sorry, I'm not exactly sure, uh, but it was about his experience with abiding in Jesus. And he said that when he was a new believer, he simply started with spending five minutes a day in prayer and reading. Five minutes in abiding. But as the days and weeks went on, he needed more time abiding much like how as a branch gets bigger it needs to be connected even more deeply to the vine five minutes turned into 15 minutes 15 turned into 30 30 turned into an hour what would it look like for you today to abide deeper with the lord what do you need to cut out perhaps you need to stop watching as much netflix Perhaps you need to spend time uh, in the morning. Perhaps like you are like me and you need to delete social media so that you can spend more time in the Word. Perhaps you need to wake up 10 minutes earlier before the kids to read the verse of the day on the Bible app. I think if we're honest with ourselves, many of us know what we need to do. And it's actually really simple. We need to abide in Jesus. Because that is what will produce fruit. And that fruit will be eternal. And that will be the fruit that glorifies the Father. Regardless of the complexities of this passage, what is clear and simple is that abiding in Jesus is what produces fruit. Not my actions uh, outwardly, not the good works, not the show that I put forth. It's my abiding in Jesus that is producing fruit. Abiding in Christ, obeying his commands... That is what proves our faith in him. It is what shows the world that we are followers of Jesus and that our salvation can only come through him. If we want to see unreached people groups in Afghanistan and in the country we live in, if we want to see the, the streets of Portland changed, it must come through followers of Jesus deeply abiding in him because through that the fruit that it produces will be eternal in glorifying the Father, making more sons and daughters of the High King. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your word, that it is sufficient for all good things in our lives. We pray, Father, and I ask, Lord, that as we leave here, as we share and talk over a meal, I pray that we would not miss out on the deep relationship that you desire with us father i pray that your spirit would convict us of the areas that we need to root out in our lives the areas that the father is pruning so that we can dive deeper into communion in you i i pray father that that family of grace would be marked by a people so deeply in communion with you that it is from this church that the world changes Not because we are anything special, doing cool programs, or or going out in our own strength, but because we are a people marked by deep abiding in you. Father, would your spirit indwell us? Father, would your spirit uh, reveal to us those who are not actually abiding, and would you bring them into the fold? Would they confess of their sin, repent of their sin, believe in the cross, believe in Christ, and follow you? Father, we pray that through the abiding that we do, you would be glorified, and that your name would go out to the nations. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. As we respond uh, through music, if you have...